mean, I do feel like I was the one that kind of broke the rules a lot. <laughs> well, it's funny because sure. I, as a teacher too, I feel like I'm, I'm cursing all the time, but my boyfriend says I, I never curse. And I'm like, really? It must just all fly in my head, but never come out of my mouth. <laughs> it's all there. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, it's good to have the... The filter. Yeah, it's switch. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So again, thanks for doing this. Yeah, absolutely. Happy um, to be here. Nah. I, I'm, I'm totally unprepared on this one. Some people I try to dig in and do some like, who is this person? But I'm finding it's actually more interesting if I come in and just let myself be as ignorant as I actually am. Okay. Um, so we'll start from that. So a lot of times I just start off with the most, you know, mm -hmm. basic, basic things. Like, where were you born? I was born here in Louisville. What part of town? Uh, actually, I was b born Baptist Hospital downtown, but I mm -hmm. grew up in southern Indiana. For a very mm -hmm. brief period, I lived off of... Um, Zorn Avenue, but mm -hmm. we're probably talking about less than a year. Mm -hmm. And I grew up in Jeffersonville. Mm -hmm. I went to high school in um, Clarksville at uh, Catholic High School out there, Providence High School, mm -hmm. and then went to Indiana University and found myself back in this area after that. Didn't think I was going to stay here, but have been here ever since. This area is kind of, we always refer to it as being kind of sticky. It is. Like it's either people stay or they'll just kind of orbit out and come, come back, back through yes. all the time. I think it's a great place to, to come back to. I think there's um, definitely limitations to Louisville. You know, if you're looking for things in the big, a big city kind of feel uh, or even a rural kind of feel, there mm -hmm. are some limitations. But I think um, there is something just so inviting about Louisville to yeah. always come back to. Yeah. So There's a um, people always kind of shorthanded by saying, oh, it's an easy place to live. And, you know, and some of that's real practical stuff. You can you can live relatively inexpensively you know you can you can get a house all that kind of stuff yes. but it also just kind of has a um relaxed yes quality for sure. yeah it has like a it can have a big city but a small city kind of feel yeah. to it both mm -hmm. at the same time and i think that's i think you can always find what you're looking for in louisville if you can't find it you leave and then you realize oh i'm tired of wherever i am and i want right. to come back yeah okay so along the lines of things you can find um, did you find dance for yourself at a pretty early age? It was actually, um, I mean, I guess it's, it's young, but it's not as young as many people start mm. now. So I was eight years old. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think my parents ever had any inclination to put us in dance, but uh, my babysitter actually invited me and my sisters to go watch her dance recital. And after attending that, you know, my mom said, did you have a great time? Would you like to try it? And we all said, sure. And she enrolled us in, in dance classes after that. Um, again, never thinking that it was anything that I would pursue mm -hmm. or my parents would ever hope that we would pursue professionally, but um, just really, uh, really found a love for it. You know, I just mm -hmm. couldn't really imagine doing anything else. Actually, I did imagine doing other things. And then when trying to explore those things, realized, no, these are, these are not my people <laughs> and I need to come back to the dance. <laughs> what sort of thing, what kind of distracted you here and there? Well, my parents were both physicians or doctors ah. and so there was a lot of pressure for me to go into sure. my father's practice or in the medical field mm -hmm. uh, actually for all of us my older sister um, found another route she found engineering and my parents <laughs> thought that was a worthy experience <laughs> so then they told right. her for sure you can instead of pursuing medicine you can do um, you can do engineering and then my younger sister you just mentioned the word blood and she turns pale and almost faints so then there it became there's a real big pressure for me to be the one to be going to to a medical school yeah. and the thing is i really love sciences and i really loved biology but then when i was 
um, at IU and I was in labs all the time, I just realized that it wasn't what I wanted to do. Right. And, and if I wasn't passionate about it, there were certainly people all around me who were passionate about it that if I got into med school, you know, I would be taking up a spot for someone who really wanted to do this hmm. as opposed to me who would be doing it to fulfill an obligation. Yeah. So I was just like, I, I had this actually mental breakdown in college and um, just was like, this. I can't do this, I can't do this. I mean, I en- ended up getting my degree in biology, mm-hmm. um, but just knew that once I was done, I was just gonna try and, and figure it out, how to be an artist, how to be a dancer, how to be, I don't, you know, I don't know, just do something <laughs> with dance. <laughs> Were you one of those people who could call yourself a dancer well before you could call yourself an artist? Uh, yes, for sure. You know, for you know, my my understanding of dance was you know mostly at my studio that I grew up with, mm. and then when I transitioned to the U um, of L Dance Academy, which at the time was the official school of the Louisville Ballet. Oh right, right. A long time ago, um, that's when I started to really think, oh gosh, you know, there's more to dance than what I was doing at my my studio, and I also really enjoyed teaching. I worked with a lot of younger students at my studio, right. and so there was always this um, just need to be on stage and perform. I did a lot of musical theater as mm-hmm. well in, in high school, and so um, yeah, I just wanted I just wanted to dance. I never really ever thought that um, in some ways I was good enough. I felt like my training had some gaps because I started late, and then I wasn't at a professional school. Uh, until I was 16, mm-hmm. and and then when I got to college, I did take dance classes while I was there, but the level that those students were versus where I was, I really almost at one point just said, you just do the medical thing, you're not good enough to dance, but then I, that's when I was just like, <laughs> but I can't do the medical thing, I gotta dance, you know, so yeah, and I think it was just like, okay, I, I dance, I don't know that I could have called myself an artist, not right. till much, much, much right. later, yeah. It's interesting how how some people struggle with that. Um, one of our teachers from Spain, mm-hmm. uh, Carmen, um, the last time she was here, she sat down with our company, and you know we just asked questions and talked to her, and she didn't consider herself to be a serious dancer until she was in her late twenties. She had started dancing professionally when she was twelve. Wow! But didn't consider and said I didn't really become an artist until my late my late twenties. And kind of the way that she expressed that was like her focus shifted. Rather than just dancing, she actually started thinking about it. I think that's very yeah. true. Yeah. I would say that um, I think part of it is also training as a dancer. Mm-hmm. You see, you do, you have someone ask something of you, you do what they ask mm-hmm. you to do. And it's not until much later, I think, that you're asked to bring your own self in. And, and also your experiences are very limited when you're young. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things that I've discovered um, as I become more of an artist, I bring more and more of my own experiences and my own opinions and my own thoughts that help develop who I am as mm-hmm. an artist. Whereas when I was younger, I was much more influenced by other people right, and what right. other people wanted. So I just felt like I was trying to always be what somebody else wanted to be for mm-hmm. so long. Mm-hmm. And I even remember specifically, um, there was a young choreographer that I was working with. She was younger than me, but she was already choreographing and she was creating all this amazing work. Her name was Anna Saporshnikov. And um, she she encouraged me that I should also start choreographing. And I just felt like I didn't have anything to say. I remember distinctly, like, I, I don't have anything to say. I can create movement pieces, mm-hmm. but I couldn't necessarily create anything. She was doing pieces about, you know, um, uh, with the uh, policy in China of children, mm-hmm. you can only have one child, mm-hmm. one child policy. Um, she was doing piece, a piece about what was happening to all those children that were, were you know, 
um, left in orphanages, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, I'm not even thinking about things like that, you know, so um, <laughs> I, I just didn't feel like I was passionate about anything to create. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then when, as the older I got, and the more I started to, you know, disconnect from what other people wanted, and what I wanted to say, and I think really, when I became more I choreographed more. That's when I think I really started to understand art, being an mm. artist, you know, and then also being able to express that in my dancing. Before it was just whatever you wanted me to do, mm. happy to do it. <laughs> Did you find, um, I'm always curious how people connect different things that have happened in their lives. Like, so coming from the biology background and all that, did, while you were doing that, did you feel like that sort of sharpened some tools that you would eventually kind of bring to bear? In, in dance and all that? I mean, because the first thing I was thinking of is, you know, to be a, to really be a biologist, you have to have a certain amount of technical knowledge, but you also have to have a curiosity. Yes, uh, for sure. I think, um, I think the math and the, and just sort of the logic of mm-hmm. biology really mm-hmm. helped in my training, like understanding how my body works, mm-hmm. understanding how to learn choreography or learn combinations in class. Mm-hmm. That definitely uh, played a part. And it was later when I started to realize w- what research meant in, in, because you're always doing research in biology, but then what it meant to research something in order to, to perform or in order to create a choreography mm-hmm. that really, um, I think has served me well just research research always learn as much as you can before you can go forward or mm-hmm. to to um come up with a hypothesis or come up with an idea yeah do you when you were saying that about uh, her choreographies and and these concepts that she was wrestling with mm-hmm. um and and we'll go back and forth yeah. i'll bounce around but i'm just curious about this um do you find yourself now when you start to develop a piece do you tend to work from a concept or do you just get in and start with the movement and then try to connect that with something else that you're contemplating? I feel like now I try to have um, a concept, an idea, Hmm. um, but sometimes I'm commissioned just to do work and Hmm. and then I'll just start either with the music Hmm. or, um, but I do find now that I, I, when I want to create um, bigger works, I want to have something that I really want to delve into. Mm-hmm. I, I just created um, a piece that I presented in Cincinnati last month. Um, and the topic that's been on my mind for a while is sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to um, do the ins and out of that, but more about the um, grooming and manipulation of women into the field yeah. and how social media is used not only to lure them, but also to advertise them. Mm-hmm. So I just, I mean, I spent months... Uh, Actually, I feel like years researching it, but really in the last four months before I started creating the piece, really delving into right. it. Um, it just, whenever I would hear victim stories, it, I would just have a powerful reaction. And at the same time, I just felt like some it, we need more awareness. We believe this is something that doesn't happen in the United States. Right, right. We believe it happens in third world countries and things like that. And, and I don't think everyone gets an opportunity to hear these stories mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. even want to know that it exists. So I just, um, it was really important for me to, to say something, but it was also very hard to research and then very hard to present on stage in a way that was um, real, mm-hmm. but also mm-hmm. um, not gratuitous and right. and also um, really made you, maybe made you sympathize with the victim because I think a lot of times people don't have sympathy for the victim because mm-hmm. they think it's prostitution mm-hmm. and it's not, mm-hmm. you know, um, so I, it, it was it was just really researching and delving in and trying to figure out a way to 
to how do you present this? How do how does it how does it have meaning that I want to share and and be impactful for other people at yeah. the same time not depress people too. <laughs> <laughs> you want to walk out thoughtful but not completely just oh yes. God, I hate that. That's going to be a weird challenge too. Just you know, you said to, to not make it. Um, I forget the word you used, but uh, you know, you don't want to sensationalize. You don't want to make it. Um, you don't want to have to be have it be just a generation uh, machine for some drama and some some cheap thrills, yes. and without a consideration that these are real lives. Yeah, it it it, it was it was hard because um, you know, like when you when I did all the research, there were so many stories and so mm-hmm. many aspects, and mm-hmm. you you know, I, I applied to. Um, this uh, Cincinnati area, Cincinnati choreographers festival. Mm -hmm. And so they had a timelet. The other thing too was like, how do you say everything you want to say within 15 minutes too? You know, I think it could very well be, have been an an evening length work. And sometimes I'm thinking, well, I can keep expanding it and I can collaborate with organizations that are Mm -hmm. in Louisville and present it again. But, um, but also, also know that more than 15 minutes of that topic is probably too much. (laughs) Yeah. So you do have to be aware of your audience and, and, um, you know, respect, you know, have your, your vision as an artist, but also respect that your audience as well. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm bouncing backwards Mm -hmm. time-wise at least again. Um, because you were saying like you started, you know, in a local dance studio when you were, when you were eight, Mm -hmm. um, you did some musical theater in high school. Um, did you have any sense then because I think of you at this point as primarily a, a modern and contemporary dancer. I mean, is that how you think of yourself? Or? I, I probably identify that way yeah. now. When I was younger, I definitely wanted to be a ballerina. Really? Yes. And um, and in fact, I do remember when I had an identity crisis when I was transitioning into modern mm-hmm. and not really wanting to accept that that um, label. Mm-hmm. But when I was younger, I, I went to school that did tap jazz and ballet, mm-hmm. and I saw therefore the musical theater. But it was when I think I was fourteen or fifteen when I got my first pair of point shoes that I was like, "Oh gosh, ballet is what I want to do." And I wanted to do the roles of Sleeping Beauty and right. Swan Lake, and and I was really enamored by Balanchine at the time mm-hmm. too. Um, so yeah, when and when I went to IU, they at the time were the number one um, ballet program. At, um, at the collegiate level. Mm-hmm. So it was a great place to be. Um, but then, uh, you know, it, I don't know. I think part of me having had uh, my parents as doctors and then um, fig- saying I'm just going to leave college and figure it out and not really having a lot of guidance yeah. um, made it uh, really scary for me to try and pursue uh, a, a ballet career. Like I knew there was Louisville Ballet and um, I, I knew that there was New York City Ballet, but I knew that I wasn't the body type or the or or the dancer for New York City Ballet, and um, so I just didn't know uh, how to pursue that. And so, um, continued to take classes, continued to do to do things, got a lot of t- teaching jobs, mm-hmm. and so that kind of put the performing thing on the back burner for a while. But then, um, I it was at some point, uh, someone told me to take class. I actually took my very first modern class when I was 
a senior in college. Mm-hmm. And then um, there was a modern company in Louisville at the time after Images mm-hmm. and folded quickly shortly after I um, moved back to Louisville. And um, But there were some people there when I went to take classes who really said, you could do this. You could be a modern dancer. And I, I didn't really... Um, Except at the time, because I, I really wanted to do ballet. Right. Uh, and then um, that company morphed into another company, Art Art Barking Dog. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was teaching for them, and I was taking class with them. And finally, they said, we really think you can do this. We want you to dance with us. And so I did. And the first year was rough for me, because... Mm-hmm. Um, it was just moving in a different way and wrapping my brain around moving in sure. a modern dance way. And I wanted to quit after my first year and pursue ballet again. And right. they said, no, no, we really think you can do this. Stick yeah. with it. And it was really in the third or fourth year of dancing with that company mm-hmm. that um, that I started to be like, okay, I think now I'm a modern mm-hmm. dancer. It was good, but it was strange because I yeah. didn't want to be. <laughs> around when was that? When did Art Art... Art, art, get kicking. Uh, I think art art was like ninety five to two thousand five. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I remember them being uh, seemed to be like this you know well established company when I moved here. That was two thousand one. Yes. So that was kind of I guess in the middle of the, yes. the arc for that company. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So when you talk about sort of identifying yourself in in, in that way. Like, oh my God, I, I don't want to be a modern dancer, even though I'm doing modern dance, mm-hmm. uh, which I know has a lot to do with like where you're putting your focus and where, you're, where your desires are. What was it for you that was the appeal of ballet in the first place? That, that's always fascinated me how some dancers just, they'll see a particular style and all of a sudden just something clicks. And it can be so many things. Mm-hmm. What, what do you feel like that appeal was for you? I think there was just something about the the structure and discipline of studying ballet. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was always very focused and a very driven person. Mm-hmm. And I think there was something too about ballet, about that um, striving for perfection. And I was a perfectionist, <laughs> you know? So um, there was, yeah, I think that's what it was. It's just like you just work and work and work to achieve, you know, the perfect arabesque, the perfect mm-hmm. pirouette. Mm-hmm. Um and then there was something about there were certain ballets that really, um, I think, p- appealed to the artists in me. And some mm-hmm. of them were more obscure ballets. Mm-hmm. Like I remember there was this ballet. It's a Balanchine ballet. I'm pretty sure it's called La Sonambula. It's mm-hmm. a, it's called it's the Sleepwalker. And I just remember this. Oh, the first time I saw it, the dancer. The lead dancer was basically on point the entire time, boring across stage, and um, and I just was like, that's what I want to do. I just want to be on my toes. And I think about it now because now I don't even want to put on a pair of point shoes, you right. know. But um, yeah, I was going to ask you if you ever thought about pulling point shoes into the modern thing for yourself. N- not for myself. Too much torture. I, no, I mean I put them on when I teach point class every once in a while just to be like, look, see if I can do it, you can do it, you know, to my students, but. Um, then I, when they leave, I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> and I put those things on. <laughs> but I think it was, I think it was the point shoes and just mm. the, the, there was something, just the aesthetic of ballet just really um, was beautiful for me. I couldn't get enough of it. Even, and I even enjoyed musical theater a lot because I remember I'd always watch musicals on, on old movie musicals. I'd go and see yeah. uh, things at the Kentucky Center, but I wasn't a singer, could never be a singer. Um, <laughs> And you always have to sing first when you audition for musicals. (laughs) But Mm, um, No pressure. Yeah, Um, no, no. But there was something about the ballet that was just, um, 
I don't know. There, it's a different kind of expressiveness at, than than modern, but at the time, that's what I really want to feel. And it's funny because mm-hmm. I see young ballet dancers now, and I see them like walk down the street like with their feet turned out, and they like they, <laughs> and they always have their hair in a bun or a French twist. And I and I laugh because I was like, oh, I remember that was yeah. me. Yeah. You know, like I just wanted to rock that ballet lifestyle for you know, have my point shoes slung in my bag on my back. <laughs> and I and now I'm just like, ah, oh, just it's just not who I am anymore. But yeah. yeah. I do remember wanting to just be that lifestyle, you know. So. I remember when uh, freshman year of college, uh, that's where Diana and I met. We were in the same dorm, and it was a, a fine and performing, ar- performing arts dorm, okay. which for me, it was like I'd showed up, you know, inside of the movie fame. It's like, because, you know, there's music everywhere, and dancers and all this kind of stuff. And I remember the first time I started noticing the ballet dancers in the building, because it really was so obvious that they were like sort of a, a different tribe. And, you know, they, they, like you were saying, the way they walked with the toes out and everything like this. I also, in that same dorm, discovered something really funny about ballet dancers, which is that sometimes that works against them. Because uh, one day, one yes. of the dancers tripped trying to go up the stairs. Yes. Uh, and, it, and injured herself, unfortunately. Oh, no. But I, then I became aware of the old joke about, you know, ballet dancers are fine as long as they're on a flat surface. Yes. You know? um, <laughs> yes. So... Through all of this, like once you said, I'm not, I'm not doing, and I'm backing up, you've got yeah. two sisters? I do have two sisters. Older and younger. Yes. In the middle. So, oh, a rebellious middle child. It's, My, hmm. I, I don't know if, uh, I mean, I do feel like <laughs> I was the one that kind of broke the rules a lot. <laughs> right. Did your, once you kind of made that decision though, how did your, your doctor parents feel about that at first? You know, um, I think, you know, as, and I, tell this a lot to my students today it's like you always want to um please your your parents and your family so when I actually um decided that I couldn't do it anymore I couldn't you know go to med school I called my parents um from IU and told and it was in tears Mm -hmm. I was just bawling and I said I can't do this life is you know, it, I'm just so depressed all yeah. the time. My parents were really worried about me that they immediately drove up to Bloomington and took me out to dinner. Mm-hmm. And they're like, "What? what's going on? You know, I think they thought I might be suicidal. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I wasn't there, but I definitely was um, depressed. I wasn't going to yeah. any classes. Yeah. I wasn't, I was an RA at the time and I was having a hard time just even doing my job, getting out of bed. And um, my parents were like, well, what is it that you want to do? And I said, I want to dance. Mm-hmm. And my parents, the first time, for me, they said, well, then just dance. You know, if that's what's going to make you happy, dance. I didn't believe them at the mm-hmm. time because I was just like, no, because for years I've been hearing you have to be a doctor, right, you have to right. be a doctor. And my parents said, well, we just, um, we want you to do what makes you happy. But we, I mean, they were honest. They didn't know how to how to help me do, become a dancer. They didn't have any connections. They didn't right. know anything. And, um, but of course, they they were also like, you know, how can you be as successful, as successful dancer as possible? Why don't you just open up a dance studio? You know? And so, um, so they, they, and they kept, they kept saying that like through my first five, five, seven years out of college, you know, they're like, you're teaching, you are really good at teaching. Why don't you open up Mm -hmm. your own school? And, um, and I appreciate that they were letting me do what I want, but they were also, again, just think, you know, like, how can you be, how can you sustain and support yourself? I'm like, but I'm, I'm doing it, you know, I'm, right, right. you know, and, um, but I, I do remember I had an opportunity to buy a studio. Mm-hmm. One of the studios I was working at, um, the owner was selling mm-hmm. and she wanted me to buy it and I, I couldn't do it. I was, I was still in my, um, 
mid-20s, and I just said, that sounds like, I mean, this is what I said, it sounds like a marriage to me, and I, and it sounds like settling down, yeah. and I have this part of my dance career that I haven't pursued mm. yet. And while I can do it, and I know that I'm driven enough to, to be as successful as I could possibly be, I would always wonder what if. Mm. And so, um, so I turned that down, and my parents thought I was crazy for turning it down. But um, they have, you know, they always still ask me today, are, are you okay? Are you doing okay? Are you... Are you able to support yourself? I'm like, I'm doing it, <laughs> you know. So they're always looking out for me, but they're very proud of me. So yeah. I do know that. That's great. Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting thing, um, and, and I think about this a lot because of our studio. Um, that's all. You said it perfectly. I think you know, it's mm-hmm. a marriage. It's a it's a relationship you enter into, and all of a sudden, it's it has to be at least in that realm your primary mm-hmm. focus. And I always wonder about that in terms of dancers I meet who have studios who have those kinds of obligations mm-hmm. like did you get as much of the the other stuff done you know before you started this as you wanted to yeah um and, and some people didn't even necessarily I think have the have the impulse you know toward the the career side of it mm-hmm. and, you know it's almost like there's a fascinating lineage of of dancers who are they went from being a student dancer to a teacher dancer you yes. know, and that's kind of like this chain that some people mm-hmm. are a part of. Yes, and um, I always wonder about those those students those students who go right into teaching or opening up a mm-hmm. studio. And uh, granted, they, a lot of them do they do love to teach. But mm-hmm. one of the things that I always knew, and one of the reasons I also didn't own a studio, is because I knew what kind of studio that I would want to have, mm-hmm. and. Um, and I knew that if I was going to do it, I would probably end up being more administrative to make it the way I wanted it sure. rather than than teaching. And if I was going to teach, then I needed to teach. So I do always wonder if it's what they thought it would be because suddenly you're caught up with dealing with the parents and, yeah. and um, you know, making sure tuition's paid, making sure your, right. your rent is paid, and, and you suddenly um, aren't teaching as much as you want. Or... You know, the the money comes from teaching young kids. Oh yeah. You know, the yeah. Three, four, five, six. And while there is a, uh, re- there is something rewarding about teaching those age, the ones you really want to work with are the ad- advanced students to mm-hmm. nurture and become artists and dancers too. Mm-hmm. But you find, I thought I would end up probably teaching those because that's you know, if you're going to pay teachers out, you want to you know, it's all the math yeah. of it. Yeah. So I do think that's um, one of the things that I knew very early on when I was in my 20s about owning a studio. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you would you would not do the things that you would really want to do because you would either be doing all administrative stuff or you'd be teaching younger kids and you'd be hiring other people to teach the advanced yeah. kids. So, yeah. um, so I learned what it meant to be a freelance artist <laughs> very quickly yeah. and discovered I actually really like it. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know that everybody would like it. I know a lot of people look for stability, and um, I'm definitely looking for stability too. But I, I did recognize that I like the challenge of change. Hmm. I, I, I think I need to always change up what I'm doing mm-hmm. every few years because I get, I get bored. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not a bad thing. You know, I think about all the classic stuff when we're kids. You know, God forbid you ever say you're bored. That usually means chores are going to come your way, but. Uh, Boredom can can have its own energy, can have its own driving force. If if a kid is an adult too, if you have the curiosity and the will to actually get yourself out of boredom, yes, you know, too often it's like I'm bored. Ugh. 
and just kind of plant yourself there. But it's a, it's, it's a, it's a restlessness. Yes. Like, what next? What else? And all just, that. You just reminded me. I remember I was probably like 11 or 12, but I was really bored at my house. It was like summertime. And I totally took apart a lock and one of our doors to figure out how <laughs> locks work. <laughs> and I just remember thinking like, I hope I can put this back together uh-huh. so that we can still use this door. <laughs> For the longest time, I had an alarm clock as a kid. And it was one of those that the numbers would flip over. Yes. And I just had to figure out how that worked. You know, took it all apart. Yeah. And until the day it finally just it died, there were pieces missing because I was not a careful taker-aparter. Yes. You know, so when I went back together, or when it went back together, I could tell, oh, there's something that needs to go here. But then it was like, oh, where did that go? <laughs> <laughs> yes. But that clock was a reminder for the rest of my growing up years. You know, there's a danger that comes with this curiosity. But it still worked, right? It still worked. So those parts weren't necessary. I... That's a good point. <laughs> Why is this other stuff here? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> These extra parts. I, I want to I stay on that for a second. For you as, a, as an artist and as a dancer, do you ever go through those times? We were talking about this recently in terms of a, a possibility of doing a show. And, you know, there's a lot of times that tendency to want to say, okay, we have 90 minutes. Let's fill it up. And we all do this. You know, you forget about the importance of space. You forget about the importance of stillness. And Mm -hmm. we always say in the studio with, especially with younger or with newer dancers, but I mean, sometimes with our company members too, you know, you've got to learn to be comfortable just standing there. Yes. Um, do, Do you, what does that look like for you? Do you find those moments when you just kind of want to take what you've already done and pull it apart and go, what is all this, you know, what is the extra stuff Yes. In what I do. Yes. I think I I think I have a yearly review of, <laughs> of that. I call it my um my February blues. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. I think every February I question what it is I'm doing and why I'm doing it mm-hmm. and should I be doing it and why do I keep pushing myself sometimes and do I just need you know, is what I'm doing because I keep pushing myself and driving myself to do stuff quality mm-hmm. and do I just like need a break? Mm-hmm. You know, so I think um I think it is something that some, sometimes I have answers for and sometimes I don't. And sometimes I continue on the path I am, even though I know something needs to be different. Right, right. And then other times things happen and it allows me to have have more space and time. So I I do think it's, um, you know, so I often... I often talk about how I need a break and it's like, I, I need a break, you know, and, and people often respond to me. You don't, you don't even know how to take a break. When you're on a break, you start looking for things to do. Right. Right. And, and it, and I, it is true, but I do find when I, I do feel like my, my work suffers and I suffer when I don't find time for, for stillness mm. or reflection. Yeah. Um, and I, it's, it's not good. Like it's not healthy for me. Mm. I know that. So I, I do always try to look for those moments. And when I do have them, I try to take, um, advantage sometimes, you know, one of the things that I've allowed myself to do in my life is to always get away every summer. And, you know, it's a, it's a working getaway, but it's like, <laughs> it's different from, from what I do here. So right. that's um, getting out of, of the cycle that my life is in. And always in February, that's when I review the cycle that I'm in and um, decide whether or not I want to keep doing it or if mm-hmm. it's it's time for... Ch- February seems to be a good time to make decisions and, and, mm-hmm. and changes mm-hmm. for me. I mean, I think too many people don't... They stop being curious, as you said earlier. Mm-hmm. And I think um, and I think that's when people find that their lives aren't satisfying. Mm-hmm. And I think because I'm... 
I continue to believe that I there, I can never stop learning. I mean, that is, is a, a philosophy that I live by. Um, that I I think then it, it makes me a better um, teacher because then I'm always happy to share what I've learned. I'm mm-hmm. not I'm not selfish about like oh I know this I'm not gonna I'm not gonna keep <laughs> this from you yeah you know because uh, I wish more people more of my mentors had been that way mm-hmm. you know I I think back of some of um, some of the people that I I worked with as you know they were a choreographer I worked with or a teacher and um, just like expecting you to know stuff you know and I was just like. I, I, I don't, I've never seen that before. Can right. you, can you, you know, help me? And they're like, well, if you don't know this, you know, you're just like, I, I, you know, you're just like baffled. And then, then that's when you start to have self-doubt. Like, oh my gosh, I'm so awful. I don't, right. How come right. I don't know this? Oh, I didn't, I didn't take the right path to get where I need to be successful, you know? And I just, I have just discovered that there's too many, there's too many negative, I mean, it's cutthroat in, in any area, you know, sure. to get ahead and move ahead. But I think if you, um, I think if you just respect each other and treat people with kindness, that's like the best. Mm-hmm. It, it comes back to you, you know. And I, I admit, there are days when I, I'm not. I'm a grumpy person, and I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna be like. Well, You're allowed to be moody. That's yes. okay. Yeah. <laughs> but I do think I think um, I think just being open to learning and opening, receiving and giving. I think that's just one of the best ways to to really have a full life. Mm-hmm. Where do you think some of that? Um, closed off quality comes for some, from for some people because I mean I've seen that same thing in, in teachers and mentors and um, sometimes you know it can seem to be as something as simple as almost like a control tendency mm-hmm. um, but other times they're they're well I mean we're complicated creatures we have yeah. a million different motivations for everything um, but like in the creative realm it just seems so antithetical to me I don't know why yeah. some people seem to operate that way I think a lot of times it's um, ego, mm-hmm. and also a mix of ego and insecurity. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I think it's hard as a human nature to admit mistakes. I mm-hmm. think it's hard to, um, if you're in a position of of authority or leadership, to mm-hmm. admit you you don't know something because you feel an expectation from sure, people. Sure. Um, but I, I do think um, I think a lot of it is ego and insecurity. I feel like a lot of people that I've had ne- negative experiences with is usually to cover up their insecurity. Mm-hmm. And and then like for me to be able to recognize that helps me deal with that situation better. But right. um, yeah, and I, I think some people just also have to, you know, just have to be right. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's that. And then there's yeah, that, yes. yeah. The insecurity thing is an interesting one to me. I, I, I it seems like the older I get, the more, the more I'll apply that in almost any situation. And I think when I was younger, I didn't do it just because I was so insecure myself. I couldn't see anybody else's insecurities. Yes. But now it seems like every person I meet, I see that as being like this huge part of their life you know, in one way or the other, yes. whether it's because of actual shortcomings or whether it's just, you know, all of us walking around with some version of, of imposter syndrome, like they're going to all find out I'm faking it, you know, which we're all faking it. Yes. You know? Yes. Um, but that, I was talking to somebody just in the last couple of days about this and it's, I have a feeling this is going to become one of those words like compassion. That's going to become way overused mm-hmm. really quickly, but, um, we're all constantly fighting, not being vulnerable when it really ought to be the thing that we're walking yes. toward. Yes. Um, Anyway, you know, it could go on 
That could could be a whole separate, let's talk about vulnerability. Well, but it's true. I mean, I think, um, I think vulnerability and, and, um, you know, choosing to take an unknown path, choosing to admit mistakes and learning from it. I think that's really, really hard for us because I think there is this expectation that we should always know what we're doing. I I, I feel for my students that are teenagers who are stressed about going to college because they feel like they should know where they're going and what they're doing. And I want to say, my God, you're 15. You've got lots of life ahead of you and you can make lots of changes and it's okay to make changes. Mm -hmm. But I feel like they, I think we're trained, uh, we're being taught now to there's a right and there's a wrong and there's nothing in between. And I think because of that right and wrong, nothing between, everyone's afraid to have their own opinion. Mm -hmm. Everyone's afraid to um, be different from, from, from the the masses, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think that that's where a lot of that insecurity and that ego gets fostered mm-hmm. because um, I was teaching at a high school for a few years and I noticed that in teaching dance, an elective, when I would present them with with a dance and ask them to tell me what they saw, they mm-hmm. didn't. I specifically asked them, "Don't tell me if you like it or you didn't like it. I want you to tell me what you saw." Hmm. You know, and I and I tell them based on your experiences, and your experiences are different from everyone else's. How did you respond to that? You know, what did it remind you of? And the students were could not answer because in their head they've been trained from math and science and English. There's a right answer, so they were unable to say what they saw or what they experienced mm-hmm. because they felt like they had to know what the choreographer intended. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it doesn't. That doesn't right. matter. And and I think that's. I think that's where I just com- how completely paralyzed they were to right. have an opinion. Um, to me, was frustrating. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and yet the education system. Like I learned a lot while teaching at this high school. <laughs> you know, they they want they want you to teach students to think critically, to be able mm. to discuss, to analyze. And I'm like, but we're not fostering this because right. there's a right or a right. wrong answer. You know, that whole, um, uh, you know, once we entered into kind of the age of teaching to the test, I think was sort of the beginning of the end of really fostering all that. Because, yeah. you know, if you sit down with, with what do they call them, you know, like the Scantron things yes. or whatever. I mean, literally, there are the right answer and the wrong ones and there's no wiggle room. Exactly. You know, and always teaching kids toward that. I've, I've said for years um, that for me growing up, one of the things I wish I had gotten more of, and this started with my parents. My parents were very protective. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were not, we were protected from failure, let alone encouraged to fail. And that thing of when you have to get into even something like observation, what did you see? Mm-hmm. You know, that, that is, even though we think, oh, well, just a thing happened. So there's no, there aren't different versions. No, everybody has a different version of that. Yes. That's that by itself gets you into having to be open saying, well, this is what I saw. I don't know what you saw. Right. And then it leads to opinion and it leads to like. Mm-hmm. having to say who you are and 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 almost feel like you have to defend and justify who you are where that shouldn't matter mm-hmm. you should be able to say i saw birds saw. in that movement and it made me think of my summer mm-hmm. in the park when a bird pooped on me or something like that you know <laughs> i mean it could be anything or yeah. like when i chased the the ducks in the pond you know it it can be anything but nobody wants to share right share the, share that it makes you too vulnerable yeah, as you said. yeah. It's interesting to me that um, when I was a kid, my, I was one of those annoying kids like through high school where I was always carrying a notebook around and writing bad poetry. Um, it was really fascinating to me, though, when I got to school, got to college, because this was Chicago in the late 80s. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of when the poetry slam thing was really starting to just hit. Um, 
And that was the first time when I had to start thinking about like, what does it mean when an expressive form becomes a competitive form? Mm, yes. You know, because because poetry was always to me like this is the freest, most me I can be. I can put whatever I word I want down on there, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's it's back to that thing of like the interaction you have with your audience mm-hmm. when you start not only having to like the audience is right there giving you feedback and then there's a contest too yes and you start figuring out what you have to do to win the contest and all of a sudden it's kind of narrowing back in again yes it's like that's great but and so when i when i first started seeing teachers teaching kids about poetry by having them do poetry slam stuff i'm like oh Oh. i mean nice yes i love the impulse Mm -hmm. you know but Maybe too soon. Right. <laughs> just get them to delve in and, and, yeah. and write. And, and Just be free. Yes. Yeah. And really, you know, not be, um, I'm, not a, I'm not a poet. I'm not a, uh, a great writer, but I have lots of friends who, having worked with at the Governor's mm-hmm. School for the Art, I'm just so impressed with their way with words. And I observed, a, we did a collaboration with dance and, and the creative writers. And I remember just having an eye-opening experience because we were talking about how can we collaborate together and have a class with mm-hmm. this. And so I was talking about how we take and dance an idea and we abstract it. Yeah. You know, so for instance, um, if I um, am thinking of a bird, then I want to think about the movements that that are bird-like, but maybe I'm not even thinking, in the, you know, naturally we think about flapping, but let's not think about flapping. Let's think about maybe what happens when a bird is feeding instead, you know, like mm-hmm. going that way. And, and then she talked about how, well, you know, kids write about a flower and, and they push their kids to say, well, what kind of flower? Well, it's, it's a lily. Well, what color was that lily? It's a white lily. Well, what did that white lily smell like? So they like get in, dig, 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 dig mm-hmm. to, um, get at the heart of what it is they want to say and in dance and we take the concrete and we abstract abstract abstract. Uh-huh, so uh-huh. it was such an interesting like wow so i i'm always impressed with like i think sometimes writing really makes you examine things well i think they both make you examine things but you know you really have to be specific mm-hmm. you know and i think a lot of times we don't want to be specific mm-hmm. we want to be broad general because then it doesn't it doesn't put us in a box mm-hmm. Don't want anybody to nail me down. Yes. One of the things I, I love about dance, though, except, I mean, this is no criticism, but, you know, except when it is in its most literal version of itself. Mm-hmm. And there's a great place for that, too. But so much of dance, even when the dancer is being or the choreographer is being specific, it still can be interpreted so openly. Yes. You know, because a gesture, I, I mean, there people argue a lot of times, you know, they're universal gestures. But that's like smiling. You know, there yes. are cultures where if you smile all the time, they will lock you up. Yes, <laughs> you know, that's true. What is wrong with you? You're smiling all the time. Um, so, you know, there is that sort of lovely openness. When you're, these days when you're in teaching situations, because I know you t- teach across the spectrum. Mm-hmm. You just did GSA and you're, you're doing workshops out in different places and stuff. So you're teaching in a lot of different environments. And I'm assuming you're not going in and going, okay, this is basic technique stuff. When you've got a short amount of time mm-hmm. with kids, um, what is, what do you feel like is the most, uh, this is such a broad question, I'm sorry it's about okay. that. What's like the most important thing you feel like you can get across to them? Like, even if it's just a, uh, 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 how to embody a certain approach, mm-hmm. you know, for, for them as dancers. Because I'm assuming like you're not always just working with modern dancers or with ballet dancers or whatever. It's from all it's, disciplines. Yeah. I think 
right now what my focus has been because I just finished teaching um, in Elizabethtown, but I, I think it's to to be a smart dancer, mm-hmm. you know, to use to use your brain. Kind of mm-hmm. touching on what I said earlier, I feel like a lot of times dance is um, I see, you tell me, I do, mm-hmm. and I've been really um, I've been harping on students to really. Th- to think for themselves. Mm-hmm. I've noticed a really, and, ma- and maybe this has always existed and I just wasn't this type of dancer, but you know, the studios are always full of mirrors and you, and the mirrors are supposed to be there for you to look at yourself and make corrections. But I'm finding more and more students use the mirror to follow somebody else that <laughs> they think knows what's going on. So right. I get really right. frustrated when I see students who, who aren't learning, who aren't mm-hmm. thinking, who aren't, um, who aren't processing the information. And so that's, that's what I have noticed that I've, I've been really focusing on. And in, in some schools, it's like, you know, you got to use your brain. You got you to gotta think about yourself. You have to be, mm-hmm. be selfish in this moment, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and other places, I'm like, you have to think because you shouldn't always do whatever the choreographer tells you. You have to be able to make smart choices. If right. what somebody's asking you to do is not physically pos- possible for you or is dangerous, then you should be able to be able to say, no, I'm right. not comfortable with that. So I think that's what I've been really focusing in, in a broad way, just to be a thinking dancer, to be... To, to be smart and not just accept that whatever information is being given to you is what you should do. Or, mm-hmm. uh, I think that's my No, that's great. Right you know, I think about that a lot. I, I love being around dancers. I mean, mm-hmm. besides the, the time that I've spent as an accompanist with the Flamenco group, which seems like it's been forever now, um, you know, I was, a, I was an accompanist up in Chicago, you know, back when I was in school. And mm-hmm. then when I was a little kid, you know, I was one of those little brothers who would go watch my sister's dance class wishing that I could do it. But of course, you know, small town in the South, that wasn't going to happen. Um, but like, you know, being around dancers my whole life. And then I spent a good chunk of time um, in martial arts as well. You know, both disciplines where from the outside people think about just the body aspect, just the physicality mm-hmm. and... I think too often even the practitioners after a while after a while they the practitioners think of themselves as just bodies but when you get somebody who really plugs those things together like I've never thought of of dancers as dumb right which they do often get uh, that reputation yeah, yeah. yeah. cuz just do what somebody tells you to do and look pretty mm-hmm. you know it's awful it is <laughs> i agree really i bad. agree um I love it when I start to see a dancer realize their own intelligence and then mm-hmm. how that starts to transform their work. Um, also just making choices, like artistic choices, yeah. Yeah. you know, because there, there, I always tell dancers, like, why do you think there's a dancer that you look at and you're just so, like, mesmerized by, mm-hmm. and there's another dancer next to them who is doing the exact same steps, but they don't draw your eye. It's like, it's because yeah. one of them is making choices. Mm-hmm. You know, they're staying within the bounds or the constraints they need to be mm-hmm. in, but they're making making choices, you know, and I think, um, you know, I think more and more choreographers and and teachers ask dancers, especially especially at the advanced level, Mm -hmm. to make choices, Mm -hmm. especially with improvisation, you know, and I think that's a thing that paralyzes most, um, again, dancers, because we're trained to, I see, I do, Mm -hmm. you know, um, improvisation is one of those things where you have to make choices. I remember the first time I was, had to, I, well, I, remember lots of occasions where I had to improvise but I uh, there's one that stuck stuck out with me and I tell this story over again over and over again to my students because it was a real learning lesson for Mm -hmm. me Um, I was in a piece 
and we had a guest choreographer and they said, well, this first section of this piece, um, you have to improvise. You have to move um, slowly like you're a ship coming into harbor. And I, you know, again, coming from a ballet background, that was so foreign to me. <laughs> and I, I, I just like stood there dumbfounded, like right. not knowing what to do. And everybody else around me, you know, just started moving and doing things. And I just, I just, uh, I, you know, I remember going to the choreographer, is there something specific you want me to do? I mm. mean, just tell me, I, I can do it. And they said, and he, she's just said, I already gave the instructions. And I was like, <laughs> okay, you know, and I was like, all right. So I, you know, I started to kind of follow what some other people were doing. But right, I, right. I, I think, I mean, I felt uncomfortable and I'm sure I looked uncomfortable. And the next day I came to rehearsal and I was cut from that section. Yeah. So it was a learning lesson that, you know, sometimes mm. you just have to make, make choices and be be willing to do it. But now I'm like, you want me to be a ship coming to harbor? No problem. Got it. Yeah. Here's mine. Yes. Um, that is always, you know, we joke, you know, that line from uh, League of Their Own, there's no crying in baseball, right? Yes. We always joke there's no crying in flamenco. But if there is a point when anybody <laughs> cries, it's usually the first time we try to get somebody to improvise. Mm -hmm. And almost everybody has the same response. Okay, well, what do you want me to do? Yes. Like, well, and like like your person said, I already gave the instructions, you know, yes. improvise. And they're terrified. It's like, well, you've got the vocabulary. Yeah. Just do some of that. That's what's so crazy is that you do have vocabulary. Yeah. And, um, and sometimes like in modern dance, you don't want to see codified vocabulary, but you know, right. you do have, you do know how to move. Right. And right. if you, you know, if you just take a moment and think, well, if I'm coming to Harbor, I have to move slow, mm -hmm. you know, then slow and weighty, I would think, you know, <laughs> avoid all possible obstacles, right, right. you know. Right. You're stringing it together with like your own narrative for what that yes. means. And eh, there it is. Yes. When you were saying that about intelligence, uh, you know, I, I spent some years also like in the theater world and was, was convinced I was going to go into, um, eventually I want to be a director, all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, that didn't work, but for a variety of reasons, um, but there was always that question of, you know, why do you watch certain performers more than you do other performers? Mm -hmm. Like you were saying, even if they're doing exactly the same thing. Um, and the thing that really clued me in on that was actually watching film actors mm -hmm. and hearing them discuss what they do. Um, I remember years ago, Wilford Brimley uh, was in the movie The Thing, the horror movie. Yes. And there was this one really intense scene where the alien has taken him over and he's killing somebody else and all this. And... Somebody was like, man, that was insane what you were doing in there. You know, like, what was your process? You know, and mm -hmm. he's like, well, I was thinking about uh, lunch and uh, I had to go get <laughs> some groceries. And I was like, no, really, man, what were you doing? He's like, no, that's what I was doing. Isn't that crazy? But what it did for him was he was thinking about something. And there's something that we can recognize when, when thought is being given. Yes. So, you know, like part one, be thinking. Mm hmm and then if you're actually thinking about the thing you're doing and not thinking about, you know, what you're going to have for lunch, that's like the extra bonus thing. Yes, yes. Um, I have to admit, too, when you were saying that about why certain dancers pop in that way, mm -hmm. I always ask myself that when I go see a dance performance, you know, there are certain people you mm -hmm. get drawn toward. And like for years now, I'm going to see the, ba uh, the Louisville Ballet. There are a few that I, that I always watch. Yes. Um, and one in particular who I will not name. Um... I realized just a couple of years ago that that's the reason I always watch her. She always feels like she is making choices and she is thinking about what she's doing mm -hmm. and just embodying whatever it is in that moment yeah. and, and giving it out and yeah. sharing it. Mm -hmm. I think that's, yeah. Can you fake that? <laughs> I, I mean, 
I think I think there are times when you can. Yeah. I think if you are if you are usually in that moment mm-hmm. when you have an off day, I think you can fake it. Okay. But I think if you are always one who never engages, then you can Can't never. Fake it. Yes, because you don't know what it is to really be that. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, I think you have to, you know, and it's, it's interesting because like at the Governor's School for the Arts, uh, a lot of the kids that attend there are, are have really good foundation and mm-hmm. technique. So I, I, I tend to focus a lot of them with artistry mm-hmm. at that program. And one of the things that I talk to them about is just like, you know, why, why don't you make eye contact when you dance? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, what is it that you're afraid of when you look at and an audience member, if you can see them, Mm -hmm. why don't you choose to engage in direct eye contact? Why is it a vague stare? Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of them can't, can't answer or they, they were never really, they didn't think it was the thing to do. And I said, but you know, you're trying to connect to your audience. Mm -hmm. So why, you know, granted, most of the time your audience is in darkness and you can't see them anyway, but it's like, why don't you make that attempt to connect and, and send a message, if, especially if it's a narrative piece, right. you know, um, you know, they say that eyes are the windows to your soul. So if you're trying to express that there's sadness in this piece or joy, mm-hmm. if it's not reflected in your eyes, then it's not believable, no matter how much your body language tells you, yeah. um, and, you know, that's what it's supposed to be. So I try to tell them, look at people. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a challenge. I, I have heard that so many times just in the last couple of years. Um, that's something we struggle with, with the flamenco dancers. And then the last couple of years working at Y-Pass, I've heard the teachers there talking about one of the biggest struggles they have. And, you know, everybody always call, you know talks about it as like sort of the acting part of things. Mm-hmm. But it really can be something as simple as look at your audience. Yeah. Look at each other. Mm-hmm you know, actually let yourself have a facial expression. That's the one that, that always kills me is the classic, you know, blank face. Yes. It's like, well, what are you, mm-hmm. are you thinking? Are you feeling anything? Yes. Can't tell. Well, uh, as I say, I get that a lot from my students. Like, what should my facial expression be? Yeah. And I'm always like, well, what is the mood of this piece? Right. You know, like I throw it back at them because I could, I could tell them it's a happy piece, but then you would get cheesy smile, you know? So it's like, well, what, what is the mood or, or what have we been talking about as we create this piece? Mm-hmm. And what is that, what is that for you? Mm-hmm. You know? And, um, cause I, I, I've found as I've gotten older that I definitely want authenticity in mm-hmm. my, my work, mm-hmm. you know, that I want it to come from a place that's real. And maybe even if you didn't have that experience that you have empathy toward that experience and that you can express that empathy, you know, um, I think I've just seen too many things that have been just a facade that it's, it's mm-hmm. frustrating to me. I don't connect with it. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and I sometimes, you know, like I'll see choreography and I'm not trying to knock anyone down, mm-hmm. but I feel like sometimes it's not appropriate for the age that's dancing it, or there's no way this, this, this performer can even understand what they're dancing about, mm-hmm. you know? And, and mm-hmm. I find that frustrating because then it becomes this, the show of something that just is a show. Right. Yeah. Right. We, I was thinking about that recently. There's mm-hmm. a, there have been videos going around of this uh, group. I'm not sure if they're sisters or whatever, but they're flamenco dancers. Okay. And you know, they're probably all in like the nine to 12 range or whatever. And they were all trained by this one guy and they've just kind of been exploding lately, popping up everywhere. Um, and they're amazing, mm-hmm. but you could tell he taught them everything. So the facial expressions and the drama Mm. of the movement and all that. And I think that's part of the fun of it is the novelty of seeing kids do that. Yes. But at the same time, there's another part of me that's like, 
you're fascinating now, but you could be amazing in 10 years when, when all of what you're doing actually means something to you. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. How do you guys as flamenco, like you often have intimate audiences, yeah. so you definitely have an opportunity to really connect. And I think everybody finds a different, a different way to do that because, mm-hmm. because some of our performers are flat out sort of terrified of the audience and they'll, they'll yes. admit as much. Um, so I think everybody is still kind of struggling with that. Um, the, the way I, it seems to come across so often when mm-hmm. we see performers in Spain is they keep a lot of the energy between, and that's one of the, one of the advantages we have with the flamenco group is mm-hmm. like, you've got a group of people on stage. So a lot of times they'll keep the energy between them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then occasionally, you know, they'll, they'll give the, the look out yes. to the audience. Um, but in a way I think that does make it different. You know, you can, a lot of times it's like when the singer is singing or singing and the dancer will watch the singer as they're singing, mm-hmm. you know, so you get a sense of intimacy, but it's a intimacy that's contained by the performers, right, because, which makes it a little different, you know? Because in flamenco and I'm, don't you like some dancers go into like a trance-like experience? Uh, the, the famous duende. Yes. yes. Right, right, so right. So I feel like that it would be very intimate, like to be out of that would not. Yeah. That's a great point, though, and I I guess I hadn't really thought about that. A lot of times what you're looking for is for somebody to be overtaken by their, Mm -hmm. whatever that that sense is, that duende, but really, you know, it's it's flow state plus emotion, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of, um, and it's a different kind of intimacy rather than the, you know, soliloquy to the audience type. Yes. It's you're watching somebody do something intensely personal and overwhelming right there right there right there in close in front of you and i feel like in spain for sure they would understand the history of flamenco and what that is mm-hmm. but your american audiences do you find that you have to explain that or do you just kind of you know do you think they would be like well this person's not engaging me because i feel like as mm-hmm. americans we always want to be engaged. entertained and enter- engaged yeah um wow that's a tough one i think it kind of goes both ways to be honest i think mm-hmm. some audiences are left a little uh flat at times, because mm-hmm. uh, their expectation, and we've always tried to do a little bit of giving context without turning it into a lecture. You know, if it's just a dinner show or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you 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 really have to take into account the audience's expectation. You know, I think a lot of times what we what we get away with is it just being spectacle. Mm. You've got stomping yes. and big skirts and all that kind of stuff. That's a really good question, though. Yeah. I think that's and I think that is what part of what we're struggling with right now, though the the deficit is in the individual performance aspect, the acting aspect, mm-hmm. um, where if you're going to stay inward, it needs to be more specific somehow. Mm-hmm. It can't just be that I'm not looking at the audience. Right. Something else needs to happen to signal that. Otherwise, you're not seeming to connect with anybody yeah. for yes. no particular reason. Yeah, I had to do a lecture series at the a public library. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I got roped into it, but <laughs> I had to do like six different cultural dances mm-hmm. and in the in the process of giving these lectures had to pull people from the community to do uh, do a live performance mm-hmm. and um, so one of them was flamenco and mm-hmm. I, I remember that's when I really delved into like the history of it and I would say that had it not been me having that research and understanding um, I would have always appreciated flamenco but not to the depth that I I do because of that research right, right. you know so I do wonder like I mean obviously you have um, your your faithful audience members understand and have right. probably under know what 
what flamenco is in its history. But when you have new people, I just, you know, how do you, how do you rope them in? <laughs> we have the same thing with modern dance because modern dance is so abstract sometimes that your audience are either, you know, they come because they know you, mm-hmm. um, they come because they're a fan of dance. But I, I know that many of them leave um, not understanding what happened or what that right. dance was about. And some of them are okay with that, but a lot of them are not always okay with that. So mm-hmm. it's sometimes, it's difficult to build audiences. And, you know, other than just like giving it to them, like in the program, this dance is about blah, 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 which right. has its merits. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know. That's, you know, that's been one of the things that we've, we've tried to look at as a long-term goal. Mm-hmm. Like in any given show, rather than trying to educate them and get them prepared for it and give them the show and then explain the show to them and all that kind of stuff, we, it has been kind of uh, um, over time trying to build a local audience that comes to our work for whatever reason they were they felt compelled in the first place and if you keep coming hopefully more of it will make sense mm-hmm. and that's fine when you've got you know some repeat shows repeat venues and yes. that kind of thing um, but we've really had to had to ask ourselves how does that work if we're going into a community for the first time and they've never seen this before mm-hmm. it's a tough one yes. it's a tough one and again I think we we get by we get away with mm-hmm. being exotic sometime yes. um, but that's not satisfying. Like when we know that that's kind of what we're doing. No, I mean, I definitely create choreography that I, I call quote unquote audience pieces. They're really just <laughs> meant, you know, they're, they're entertaining. They're lighthearted. Right, they're, right. they're very clear to the audience. You know, the audience can connect with it in a very, mm-hmm. um, not superficial way, but it's a very easy way to connect, you know? Absolutely. I, yeah. So I definitely have those pieces and, and those pieces are fun for me to do sometimes to break away from some of the serious mm-hmm. or abstract stuff. But I do, I do know that's the pieces that often bring right people back or, or make people a fan of my choreography right. as opposed to sometimes the other stuff, you mm-hmm. know, the ones that I connect to more. But it's, and it's okay. It's a, I mean, I think that's part of being an artist. You it know? is. It absolutely is. And that's something that um, I don't think people are often enough, honest enough about that part. Mm-hmm. You, you can't ignore the audience. Sometimes you have to give them a little something. Yes. Just to kind of keep them happy. I mean, mm-hmm. you're showing them you respect them in a weird way. Yes. Um, it's funny, as you were saying that, I drifted back, not that it wasn't absolutely compelling, yeah. but all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, I have an answer, um, which we do that too often, yeah. you know, we break out of somebody else's answer, wait, I've got one. It, I realized that one of the weird things for flamenco is that it does have that history of being a crowd pleaser. Mm-hmm. Um, when it first started being a, a commercial form, it had been this insulated form that was sort of mostly in certain communities for each other. And then when they started commercializing it, I think from the very first day it was, how do you make this pop for Mm -hmm. somebody who has no idea what this is? Yes. And then all of those years when Franco was over Spain, he dictated what flamenco was supposed to be even. Um, So I think in a way it's almost, it's kind of in the DNA of the form to have that presentational aspect Mm -hmm. that is just going to get you no matter what you know about it yes that is actually one of the most interesting things to me about going to spain over the last decade is seeing more and more artists who are finding finding what they want in it and doing things that frankly if you're not an aficionado you will you won't have any idea what they're doing you won't maybe appreciate it as much yeah because they're doing weird internal explorations of Mm. the form of themselves as dancers all right, so going back to your stuff, though. Yeah. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I could talk about all kinds of dance. <laughs> oh, and it's, uh, this, this could be a whole other, like, podcast. We'll just, we'll just talk about dance every week. 
I have become, I have to admit, like a huge fan of dance, and I so regret not being able to have danced when I was a kid. Um, I, actually, I took ballet when I was 20, 21. Um, it's this never too late. It's never too late. It's never too late. These days, it would just be a question of time. But of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> but it's never too late. Um, it was interesting, though, uh, coming back to what you were saying about starting at eight years old and that being kind of late. Here I was taking ballet at 20, hmm. and... You know, it's the classic thing of what the boys do in ballet. Yes. Already the teacher was like, oh, we'll have you in the show next year and all this. And I'm like, I just started doing this. She's like, oh, you just have to lift somebody. Yeah. I'm like, that really? Really? Yes. That hardly seems fair. It's, it's, um, it's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest. It's yes. not fair. You know, I, there's, there, women in the dance world are a dime a dozen, you know. Um, men are a rare commodity. I, I can just say having... Um, had my modern company here, having men that stick around in Louisville hmm. is is rare. And, and then if you do have men that are around, they are usually asked to do so many things that um, <laughs> you know to get them to commit is is hard. So um, it, it's That's it's funny. it's true, you know. So uh, boys always, I feel like, uh, and this is not, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but they get scholarship. I think mm-hmm. it's, it's needed to encourage men to stay in dance. Cause right, I think there's right. stigmas about men oh, in dance. Still. Yeah. Yes. And, um, I think, you know, they can, I mean, there was a time period in ballet. So, uh, you know, just talk about ballet history. All the roles were performed by men. Mm-hmm. Ballet was done by men, even the female roles. And then there was a time period in the romantic time period mm-hmm. where men were relegated to the porteurs, the mm-hmm. carriers of ballerinas. So yes, to this day, if right. you can carry a girl, we can put you in a dance. You know. <laughs> um, but I do think I, you know, I think hip hop is one of the things that has helped bring men into dance. Oh, that's interesting, um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, and you know, even before hip hop, before it was commercialized, we always sure. talk about dance becoming commercialized, when it was just breaking on the streets. Um, it definitely, I think, I think innately all of us are dancers, even though many people will say, I am not a dancer. We do respond to, to music and we do respond to rhythm. Sure. So all of us can dance. You know, there was a period in modern dance where blinking your eyes was dance because it was movement, you know? <laughs> so, um, I, I do think that I do wish that men would be more involved yeah. with dance yeah. and and look at it as a career. I do they can easily find jobs, mm-hmm. you know, and that's the unfortunate thing because there aren't um, and the jobs are far and few between, especially for women, especially in ballet. Mm-hmm. In modern, you I mean you can you can make things happen for yourself a little bit more easily, but I mean mo- the majority of my friends who have companies. It's all women, and they, they are always struggling to find men, and right. men that are willing to stick around for more than one season. It's, it's tough. So uh, speaking of the people you know who have companies and all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff, um, I hate using the word stuff. All those, those sorts of ideas. Um, concepts. I'm trying to sound smart. It's terrible. <laughs> um, and I still haven't had enough, had enough coffee today. The local scene, um, again, I've only been here since 2001, so not even quite 20 years of watching. And when I first got here, you know, Art Art was there, and, and it seemed like there were a couple of other groups maybe that were doing some stuff, and then things kind of went eh, kind of quiet for a while. Mm-hmm. It seems like there's kind of a buzz. There's there's stuff happening. I do I agree with that. I think there are um, people who are willing to, to do stuff or that are here in Louisville right now that want to do, do mm-hmm. stuff. 
Um, so there's uh, Keen Dance Theater. Mm-hmm. So John Keen is, uh, as far as I know, he still has a, a company and he's still producing work. I don't know if it's the original concept that he originally um, came back to Louisville with when he was in New York for a while and mm-hmm. then he came back to Louisville. But I, I know that he is still working and working with dancers in, in Louisville. Um, there is uh, Ann Miller. Mm-hmm. She has suspended. It's a... Right. Um, Aerial, aerial thing mm-hmm. yeah but she's working with um a woman named amber lee and they mm-hmm. have been uh putting together uh they just had a full-length show recently i think at the end of the month mm-hmm. so i there's people who are doing that uh um katie kasari is right. doing a curating dance so and then there's vanderveer ford dance company so i think there is a lot of people who are starting to say hey I want to dance. How do I make more dance happen in Louisville? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we're, I feel that we're all supportive of each other. Yeah. Um, I think that's sometimes what happens a lot in dance is that, you know, somebody's always trying to be better than, than, than the other group that exists. But I, mm-hmm. I feel like that um, right now Louisville is very supportive of all the dance because mm-hmm. I feel like there there needs to be more dance to to bring awareness. We're such a, we have the big three. Um, organizations mm-hmm. for really, if you want to count, so the orchestra, the opera, the ballet, and the actors' theater, you know, and that's where a majority of the focus right. goes. Right. But I think, you know, while while they're wonderful companies, there are a lot of local people who who are producing really good things. Absolutely, you know? yeah. It's just hard to get funding. Funding is always. Um, the big thing, but there's something, I mean, I think this is one of the reasons why I always kept my company small, was there's something about kind of being underground mm-hmm. and, and intimate that uh, is is as, as rewarding as being performing in the Whitney Hall, mm-hmm. you know? So um, I think there's a lot of really good things in dance. I'm hoping people will continue to do more. Yeah. There's also, I mean, I feel like three new dance studios open up every year, so <laughs> um, I think there's there's definitely a lot of dance in Louisville. Yeah. It, it's just educating people what is happening outside of taking dance lessons. Right. And that's, you know, seeing seeing um, dance as an art, not as a recreation. Mm-hmm. You know, and seeing dance not as a sport. Because, you know, there's a lot, definitely a lot of competitive dance around. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, sometimes that competitive dance helps bring awareness. You know, like you talked about... Um, the competition of flamenco well you know things like so you think you can dance on television really brought dance back to people's minds you absolutely know? so there's there's pros and cons to it you know you you just hope that people look beyond so you think mm-hmm. you can dance and discover what else is out there mm-hmm. rather than that be the be all end all well it's you know it's that classic idea of a gateway i don't want to say gateway drug but you know mm-hmm. it, you know you start with something that's accessible and easy to figure out and then if it really grabs you Yes. You know, when I was a kid, I mean, yes, I went and watched my sister's dance recitals and her classes and stuff. But the, mm-hmm. you know, the dance stuff and the theater stuff that really grabbed me was pretty, you know, straight up mainstream, you know, American musicals and yes. that kind of thing. And, um, you know, that's that's more of what I did in theater before I went off to study theater. Um, and yet by the time uh, I graduated college, even I had discovered like the world of performance art and contemporary yes. dance performance mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff. Um, just cause you know, it was one of those, it's like when you show up at a buffet, you know, and you've eaten one thing before on the buffet, but all of a sudden there it is, you're like, yes. okay, I'm going to try a little bit of all of this. I developed such weird taste. I, I still, to this day, I, I almost regret, you know, having my <laughs> mind open quite that much. Yes. Um, I, I, I hope sometimes that 
just because there does seem to be this energy that maybe what happened for theater in this town might happen for dance. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I, somebody told me last year what the sort of current unofficial count was in terms of theater companies yeah. in Louisville. It's insane. It, I feel like there's so many groups that I hear about and for they're putting on a show. I think one of the limitations for dance, though, is having venues in which you can perform in. Yeah. You yeah. know, I like the the Whitney's too big. The bomb heart is okay. It's not ideal for dance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, you have the Clifton Center again, not ideal for dance. I mean, it's better, but then the lighting, you know, like capabilities are limited. Mm-hmm. Dressing rooms are mm-hmm. limited. <laughs> and uh, um, yeah, so all these we there's all these almost venues. Right. You know. Right. I mean, I, I think about the last show that we did at the at a, in a black box, you mm-hmm. know, we we adapted for the round. Talk about it. super intimate. We we're almost dancing in oh people's God, yeah, laps. Yeah. But you know, it was a great space, but it was not an ideal space. You know, mm-hmm. so I think that's one of the limitations about putting on dance. It's expensive to rent, and and mm-hmm. you need you need very specific things. You need a, a proper floor. Mm-hmm. You know, um, good lighting. <laughs> You can do without lighting, but yeah, I mean, the main thing is the floor. Our bodies are so physical, and most of the surfaces. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've had to dance on concrete oh, and molly yeah. over concrete, yeah. and, and you do it because you're like, I can do it for for two performances, but then you pay for it, mm-hmm. you know. So, so uh, you know, on the off chance that anybody is actually listening to this, if there is some really wealthy listener out there that wants to build the Louisville Dance Center, yes. The city is desperate for it, and there would be a lot of people that would use it. Not only yeah. dance companies, but uh, schools that need recitals mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, well, you know, something, uh, you were talking about the big four before, and I have very strong feelings about all of them, and I won't get into that right now, but it's wonderful that we have them here. Mm-hmm, and that sure. has created an awareness of the arts here that is, you know, it's part of what we were saying before about what makes Louisville sticky. It's part of the, the yes. cultural life here. I wish in some ways that those entities could become more broad missioned or almost abstract, you know, like, um, you know, the opera has had some rough recent years and I was talking to somebody about, you know, wouldn't it be interesting if we had rather than a Kentucky opera, um, something that was dedicated to opera, operetta, musicals, like that, yes. those forms that are related, mm-hmm. you know, and likewise in dance, if there was, you know, a Kentucky dance center yes. that was just a little bit of everything yes, that would have that amazing theater that you're talking about yes. <laughs> that everybody needs. Mm-hmm. Um, ah. I mean, it's, I, I think, you know, that's the thing that I always wonder, would, would Louisville support it? I think, mm-hmm. I think they would, you know, I mean, I do, I do see, um, any show that I go to, some shows are sold out. Some shows have, you know, not full house. You know, a lot of it is timing. I'm so glad that Louisville mm-hmm. has grown. Mm-hmm. But what I've found in the 10 year, 12 years that I've had my company is now there are less and less dates that you are guaranteed that nothing else is going on. <laughs> you know, you can never do anything in March or April and May because of yeah. Derby. And graduations, you can barely do anything in March if the basketball team is doing well in the Final Four, you know. <laughs> and so it's it's I, I do even remember a concert once where half my audience we were performing at the Clifton Center, half my audience at, at our intermission ran to Clifton's Pizza to watch the game and then came back and then it was the fastest the house ever cleared out after right, a show because right. they had to see the score, you know. Um, but it is. It's I'm glad there's so many things to do in Louisville, but it makes it hard to be yeah. like, hey, 
come come see our show when I know there are 20 other things you could possibly go yeah. to. Yeah. Terrible problem. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Once I, we were complaining, not complaining, but somebody was asking us if we were going to be able to see their show, a theater person. Yeah. And we were like, oh, we've got a show that weekend. And, yes. you know, and then it's like vice versa. Are you going to come? Well, I've got a show that weekend as well. Um, so, yeah, between like the general things of getting an audience in and then like just getting other artists to see your stuff or see each other's stuff. Mm-hmm. It's it's sometimes it's a crowded field. It's it a strangely is. crowded field. Which is really great when people like Katie Kasari creates a dance show. Yeah. And then yeah. all of us, whatever style of dance we're doing, can all be there and we can finally get a chance. Even though it's not a full show, we at least get to see what each other is doing. Yeah. I mean, the things like that are, are really nice, you know. Um, should there be more of that? I mean, I definitely think there should be more of everybody doing their thing and supporting each other, but it's nice to have. <laughs> if you can't see us all, at least come to that one, you know. <laughs> well, it is, it is nice as like a um, almost sort of a sampler. Mm-hmm. You know, so so somebody if somebody knows that there's dance in Louisville, but they don't know well, what kind of dance it will come see this. Yes, there's a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, your company, uh, Moving Collective. You said you've been twelve years now. Twelve years, yeah. So what was the um, what was the big sort of impetus for you to finally say I'm I have to do this? Well, I you know if if you recall, like I never wanted to have a studio because it was like right. a marriage. I never wanted to have a company because it was like a marriage. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was wondering how that turned out to be the exception. Somehow. Yeah, and and still today, I'm like, I, I really don't want to do this. But um, <laughs> so I was dancing with Art Art Barking right. Dog, and um, in in all of a sudden in that the final season, which I didn't know was the final season of mm. the company. Uh, all these engagements that we had were getting canceled. Mm-hmm. And um, we weren't really being told why, but just suddenly this gig is canceled, we're not doing the show. And uh, it turned out that one of the artistic director, her husband got a job in Michigan and they were planning a move. So I think they were trying to figure, navigate right, right. Um, that move. But at the time, I... Um, I remember being at a Paul Taylor dance concert at the Brown, and I was with a, a bunch of dancers, uh, either after the show or at intermission, and we were all having drinks, and um, we were just all looking. I remember just looking around and thinking how many dancers were in Louisville in that particular year. A lot of people had come back to Louisville. Mm. A lot of people were in Louisville but not dancing with the company for various reasons, and I, I just remember saying, "There's so many of us. Why aren't we? Why aren't we dancing?" And I'm not dancing because the company keeps canceling shows and I just said you know I keep saying I should put a show together I should put a show together and finally (laughs) I was like why do I keep saying I should put a show together I'll put a show together right so I you know I I think we had like 17 dancers and nine choreographers in that show and um we got sponsorship at the Oldham County Arts Center Mm -hmm. and um and so we we put together a show and it was just it, just to give everybody that was in Louisville an opportunity to dance. Mm-hmm. And I only ever, I always say this, I only ever intended to do one show. And um, people were like, that was so great, we need to do it again. So um, at the time I was working with uh, two other people and um, they were like, okay, we should do another show. So mm-hmm. we did another show and then we did another show. And finally we're like, okay, we're, we, need to, we need to organize ourselves so it's not us personally involved with it. So then we incorporated right. and we applied for a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, like I knew, I knew that this, um, this could grow into something 
like like a full-time company, but I I think I wasn't committed to that for for many years. I wasn't committed to getting myself involved in a full-time company, so I was okay with just being an organizer of dance, right. you know, organizing these festival type things, have people apply to have their pieces in there. And um and then I got burnt out. I there I took a a, a year off um, cuz I I was it was so much work to do, and some of the people that I were working with um, had different things going on in their lives and couldn't commit as much time to sure. to helping. And it just was finally time for me to say, I, I need to know why I'm doing the same work because it didn't feel like I was doing it for me mm-hmm. anymore. I felt like I was doing it for other people. Um, and that's the reason, one of the reasons why I started in the first place. I wanted to make sure I still had a place to dance. Mm-hmm. I had a place to choreograph. And it, when it no longer felt like that, I took that year off and then I had some more people come into Louisville and they were like, we're looking for dance. And they say, come to Moving Collective, but nothing's going on. I was like, yeah, I just need a break. (laughs) And so then kind of got back into it again and um, started doing the same thing. And and then finally, um, another dancer moved into Louisville and said, I don't understand why you don't have a company. And I just said, because... Again, I, I know what it takes to run a company, and mm-hmm. I honestly don't have the time to to do that because I'm not paying myself very much to do Moving Collective. Right. So I said I can't give up my my real work to to do to do this full time. Um, but if you want a company, we c- and you want to eventually be a company owner, I am happy to <laughs> to have a three-year, five-year, ten-year plan so that we can get there with the goal of you being hmm. the director one day. And she is like, "Oh, that's not what I planned at all." <laughs> you know? And I said, "Well, you think about it because it's a it's a lonely life." I said, "If you're yeah. if you're uh, you know the director," and so she came back and she said, "I, you know, I think we're going to be in this area for a while." And um, Let's go for it. Mm-hmm. So in the last two years, we are we're working toward our goal to eventually become a um, a full time company in ten years time. But it's already like when looking at that um, five ten year plan, and it involves having a school to support your company. Right. You know, it brought back those feelings that again that this is definitely not what I want for me. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I hope this is what this person really wants because I do see myself out of it by that time. And um, it's not um, it's not quite public knowledge yet, but it will be soon, so I feel like I'm okay to say this. Um, I'm actually, uh, circumstances in personal lives, the people that have been helping me administratively with Moving Collective, um, things have changed so that their, their time commitment has mm. dwindled, and I find myself back to it being me again. Yeah. that I have decided actually to dissolve Moving Collective. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Only, and it's actually, uh, it's a very relieving yeah. um, decision, honestly, because uh, I think I was heading again towards something that I know that I didn't really sure, sure. want and doing it to, it's kind of like going back to pleasing my parents because becoming a doctor, I was doing it to, to make things happen for other people, and I'm not sure that it was think, doing mm-hmm. it to make to, to satisfy me in any way. Um, There's an expectation that comes with it, both in terms of what it's going to be and also just who that means you are to mm-hmm. the public. Yes, yeah. And then I also felt, again, it would take away from the things that I wanted to do, which was mm-hmm. dance and choreograph. And mm-hmm. I, again, I would be overseeing more administrative stuff, trying to raise money, trying to um, yeah, just fund, fund a company oh, and a school. Yeah. And that's its own full-time reality. Yes. And so... Um, so actually, and there was always, I've, 
and this might have been something of my own making, but I always felt sometimes uh, in conflict with what Moving Collective was and who who I was as mm-hmm. a, an artist because Moving Collective, we defined it as this organization that presents dance, and then when we decided to become a, a company, it was sort of like, well, who then is Teresa Batista and who is Moving Collective? Because I, alongside Moving Collective, I've been doing work as Teresa Batista. Right. So, right. so when it was starting to be like, well, how how do I, you know, when people call me and say, hey, will you come and choreograph? I always have to be like, are you calling Moving Collective or are you calling yeah, yeah. Teresa Batista? You know, and and finally, I feel like now I can make a break from that. Mm-hmm. I mean, so this is me. I'm already starting something else it's called <laughs> Teresa Batista Dance Projects. So, <laughs> so, uh, but I feel like it's more now. It's what I want to do as opposed to right, fighting right. an organization that I never thought I was going to have to begin with, yeah. and it was defined because it needed a definition. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was so happy to do Moving Collective for the years that I've done sure, it and provide sure. um, opportunities for, for dancers and choreographers. But I'm so now relieved that I can I can do now mm-hmm. more me and not worry about all these other things. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things that you see time and time again, and I've seen this in music and in dance mm-hmm. and in theater. The organization or the entity or whatever mm-hmm. is you know is created to, to give freedom to artists, to give opportunity for artists, yeah. and then for a certain group of artists it suddenly becomes this enormous drag on their artistry because they're having to run it. And then you see, which you know, to me the most heartbreaking part mm-hmm. is either an artist who's thwarted or works of art that wind up not being very good because everybody else's head was somewhere else. Yes. And they were more thinking about the, the organization. Yes. Um, I mean, that's I can't fantastic tell you news. Um, how many times like I've been on stage, like like people have had to stop me like 30 minutes before show mm-hmm. and say, stop being the administrator and start. You have to perform now. You need to not worry about what's happening right. out at the box office. You need to you need to start <laughs> thinking about your performance, you know, and yeah, and it's um, yeah. So I'm I am. I mean, I know that there will still be that as I do this new project. Sure. But I feel like um I feel like in addition with all these other people you said dance is growing right now, I feel like what Moving Collective is did do, other people are doing now. And so that makes me feel, I guess, comforted by the fact that there is still, dance is still going to be supported in mm-hmm. some way in Louisville, mm-hmm. and it, but it doesn't necessarily have to be me making it happen in Louisville. Right, right. And now I can support the people that are doing, are doing what I used to do. So what is, what is kind of the... Uh, uh, mission, whatever, I guess, of the Teresa Batista Dance Project? I think for me, at least where I am in my career, I still want to do work in Louisville and I still want to work with Louisville dancers, mm-hmm. but I feel like I want to get my work out beyond mm-hmm. Louisville. So um, I've been doing a, um, a lot of dance festivals lately, and oh, so I think what I want to do is is do you know, do do work that can take me out of, out of Louisville and maybe get some more... Um, work outside of this area. Again, I still am very much connected to this community and the dancers that are here, and I love the dancers that keep coming back into Louisville, and I am happy to use them and give them opportunities outside Mm -hmm. of Louisville, because I think that's another thing, too. Like, I always thought maybe Moving Collective should tour, but by not being a repertoire company, whose work do you use to then tour, and then how do you pay them, you know, and and then it's like, well, we could use my work, but then I'm not really moving collective because moving like you know so right, it was part of that same confusion. Yes, yeah. so I feel like now I can I can really explore mm-hmm. explore that and then also whatever happens 
in Louisville, you know. Mm. So I, I think it's being able to just focus on me. I've For the last few years, I've really been interested also in dance for camera. Mm-hmm. And I keep having to put off that project. Mm-hmm. I, I've done two, but I want, I've been wanting to do more and also get into the whole dance film festival s- yeah. scene. Yeah. And so um, I'm looking forward to being able to explore that. I think um, I need to grow as an artist. Mm-hmm. And so that's what this is what I need for me. It's a little selfish, but that's okay for right now. <laughs> it's always interesting to me when I hear an artist say, sort of um, protectively, it might be a little bit selfish, and it's like there is something inherently selfish in being an artist, but in the least negative way. Yes. Because it's the idea that you're going to deliver something. Back, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I'm going to call it there. We're, we're sort of at our time. Okay. And that was a sort of a nice little summation, I think. I can't thank you enough for coming in today and talking to me. Oh, it was fun. I enjoyed it. I want to check back in and see how all that stuff going. So we'll have you back in. Okay. Thanks. Thank you.